R-W-Y-A. By now you get it. Remember whose you are. R-W-Y-A. Never forget it. Remember whose you are. Our text today is Ephesians in chapters 4, 5, and 6. That's right. All three chapters today. Yesterday, I was on the west coast of Michigan. I happened to take a little hike here. If you, can, if you, if you know Michigan really well, you know I was just north of the Holland Lights. And I, I spent about an hour walking up along the beach on a, on a perfect day. Isn't the west coast of Michigan something amazing? It's amazing. I think about that. I think about all those beach towns up the west coast of Michigan. Just on that side, I mean, not let alone, you know, the, the sunrise side. Um, all those little places to eat. All those bakeries. <laughs> all those bookshops. All those beds and breakfasts. All those sunsets. All those wonderful places to throw rocks in the water or look for Petoskey stones. What a place we live in. I thought about that yesterday while I was walking along the beach and thinking I don't have enough lifetime to explore even just this one stretch of beach, you know, from Petoskey to, to New Buffalo. I could spend the rest of my life just trying to explore those things, and I wouldn't ever really explore them well. It's a little bit like what we're going to do today when we look over Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 in a kind of a drone flight if you will. Here's what I hope happens. I hope that in looking at this afresh, that it is stimulate in you just a desire for a lifetime of, of exploration in this text. The great, the famous Chinese Bible teacher, Watchman Nee, he wrote a book about Ephesians. It's a short book, and the name of the book, the title of the book is an outline of Ephesians. Anybody remember what Watchman Nee's book on Ephesians is called? Sit. <laughs> that was a good guess. But it was called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, you go, oh, I remember now. Yeah. Sit, Walk, Stand. That's Watchman Nee's book on Ephesians. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. And what he means by that is we're seated in the heavenlies. And so in chapters one through three, we have the believers seated in the heavenlies. It's a reference to what you already have in Christ, to you already are in Christ, what's true because you are in Christ. And then walk is re referred to frequently in Ephesians, walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit, walking in the light, walking in love, walking in wisdom, not walking as the Gentiles. It's a frequent thing. How you behave, how you walk. You, you, some, some have said it this way, chapters 1 through 3 are doctrine and chapters 4, 5, and 6 are duty. Our chapters 1, 2, and 3 are, are privileges and maybe 4, 5, and 6 are possibilities. Let's review chapters 1 through 3 and just some of the things that we've seen in chapters 1 through 3 are true about you if you are in Christ. I kind of put together a little slide. If you're in Christ, and this is all in chapters 1 through 3, you are blessed and you are privileged, right from the beginning. You're blessed and privileged. You're chosen and you're cherished. You're blessed, you're privileged, you're chosen, you're cherished. You, before God, you're holy and you're blameless. Number four, you're accepted, you're included, you're adopted. Number four, you're forgiven and you're cleansed. You're blessed, privileged, chosen, cherished, holy, blameless, accepted, included, adopted, forgiven, cleansed. 
You are entrusted with the mysteries of God. And in particular, you understand the, the mystery of the church and how God works in the church. You're entrusted with the mysteries of God. You're spiritually wealthy already. Number seven. Number eight, you're safe and you're secure. You're sealed. You're sealed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, all these things are true about you. You're spiritually strong and you're powerful. You are family. You're adopted. You're included. You're family. And you're called and you're commissioned and you're sent. And you're loved with an immense and eternal love. This is all, these are all things that are already true about you if you are in Christ and the evidence is in your lap in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. These things are already true about you. Now what's interesting is the way Ephesians works is it's like, have you heard of this in terms of parts of speech or, or mood, verb moods, indicatives and imperatives? The indicatives first, the imperatives later. In other words, these are the things that are true, that God has already done, the indicatives. The imperatives, the things he requires of us or has the right to demand of us, or the way I like to put it, the things that are possible now. Because these things are true, chapters 4 and 5 and 6 are going to tell us what we can be and really what we should be and what Jesus has every right to expect of us. And that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. So, we're, so before we go into that, I'm going I'm I'm to put this in like four chunks for, for us to think about, four kind of ideas. But before we do that, let me give you just a brief survey. Notice there in chapter 4 and verse 1, we're talking here about the, the, the phrase walk, or like a continual habitual obedience in something. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now that we have all these things in verse, chapters 1 through 3, who you are, so you should walk in a, in a manner worthy of your calling. In chapter 4 and verse 17, not like the Gentiles, which was kind of a phrase in their time of when you think of a primarily Jewish audience, they would have thought of the Gentiles as pretty bad people. And that would have been their kind of phrase, and Paul borrowed it. This phrase would have been like, kind of all of us are probably Gentiles in the building today. And we're included in that. That's kind of good. But notice it says in verse 17, chapter 4, this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then it has a litany of bad things. We'll get to that in a minute. So we're to walk according to our calling. We're not to walk as the Gentiles. We're to walk in love. Look in chapter 5 and verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and the sacrifice to God. We're to walk in love. Chapter 5 and verse 8, we're to walk as children of the light. Chapter 5 and verse 15, we're to walk in wisdom. Chapter 5 and verse 18, really, we're to walk in the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. And I, I put walk in there. So who we are, how we can live, how we should live, the, the life that we really do owe the Lord, but that we can live, this should be very inspiring. Jesus has every right to expect for us to live in the way described in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so let's see it in these chunks. Number one, we can grow together into Christ-likeness. It's a promise of the Bible that we can grow together into Christ-likeness. If you see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, I want you to notice three things that you kind of focus on here. One of them is unity or harmony. So the church works together to move us toward Christ-likeness. There's a harmony there. There's a sameness. There's a unity. 
But then you're going to see there's a diversity, there's a difference, different giftings. God made people different. And that harmony, that unity, and that diversity together can result in maturity or in Christ-likeness. That's what you're going to see. Notice this in, notice the harmony, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. There is this like essential thing we agree on, who is Jesus. And that's where the focus has to begin. If we're going to be like him, he has to, we have to agree that he's our, our, all of us, that he's our focus. And I would suggest to you, the strength of whatever, like the strength of your marriage or the strength of your relationships with people, the strength of your parenting, will often depend on what is the, 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 the value of the one thing that you agree on. Lois and I figured this out early in our marriage. We disagree about so much. It was actually pretty troubling. They're just, we just saw things differently, you know. They, were all, they all seemed like little things, but they added up, you know. Sleeping with the fan on at night, which no civilized human being ever does, right? And then, like, sleeping with not the fan on like normal people should do, you know, that kind of thing. So you can open the windows, you can hear the crickets at night, like God intended for you to do. Stuff like that. You know, you, you marry a girl, she roots for the wrong team, and she's, like, really persistent about it. She doesn't, you know, girls are just supposed to root for whoever you root for. Ladies, did you not know this? That is like... That was the rule. Uh, it, it wasn't that way. There were a lot of things. It was just a big ton of things. Anyway, I do remember that one day, Lois and I, we, and it was kind of as the babies started coming along. You know, we have, you probably know we have four boys, four girls. Oh, and can I say this? 13 grandchildren as of yesterday. 13, yeah. Isn't it cool how I worked that into my message? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a boy named Leon who's born in Texas. Anyway, and one thing we realize is we want those kids to love Jesus Christ, and we agree about that. We agree to the point of conviction that Jesus is our king, and we want our kids to know him, and we want our grandkids to know him. So it doesn't matter if you slip with a fan on or not. When you're, when you're united at a level like that, the other stuff, it doesn't matter that much. And that's what I'm saying. Same in church, you know. We have differences. We have, okay, so here you have this great unity. And Paul's appealing to this great unity and saying that this great unity is possible. But it's also an important focus. But even in that, there's a diversity. Look in verses 7 now through 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth who descended as one who was also ascended far above the heavens that he might fulfill all things but but tie verse 8 and verse 11 together because there's a parenthesis between them he ascended on high led a host of captives gave gifts to men verse 11 he gave the apostles uh, the prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, you have this unity 
is one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God, one Father. And you have the diversity, different giftings, even have different personalities. But this is talking about different giftings. And then what's the purpose? So that we have this staggering promise that we can be becoming like Jesus Christ. People will tell you you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. They'll tell you that you can't change. And humanly, they're right. It's impossible. But we're talking about something that's beyond human here. So now we'll look in verse 12. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is a key thing, to mature personhood or manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you, you pay attention to that when you read it? It's a promise, it's a staggering promise that we can become mature and we can be like Jesus, that qualities of Christ's likeness can be ours. That's amazing. So we should never let go of that. We should never give up on that. Never, never not believe that. And notice it says that, that to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and that we be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about in every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this, there's a lot here, but, but just see this. You can be more and more like Jesus. Even if you're getting older, you can still change. You have to have the power of God. There has to be this unity and this diversity to, that leads to this maturity. But it helps to see yourselves like the whole picture here is the picture of a body. And this is helpful. When I was a boy, my dad was an officer in the, in the army. And we were in Fort Riley, Kansas. It was really cool because if on, on the fort, when you had privileges of an officer, and my dad was a chaplain, so he was an officer by virtue of that, and you had privileges, like you could go swimming in the officer's club, which was kind of cool. And all the, the, the part that I thought was really neat was that they didn't have traffic lights, but they had a, an, they had a man on a, on a pedestal directing traffic, and your car had a little bar on it if you were an officer. So even if mom was driving the car, the guy would be directing traffic, but he would stop to salute our car, which I always thought was kind of cool. They would salute your car because your dad was an officer. But probably my favorite thing was the, was the privilege that we had of swimming at the swimming pool because we were in the officer's club. Now, a lot of people think of the church like a club they're a member of. What privileges do I have? I mean, I'm a member of the church. But here's the interesting thing. When the Bible talks about membership, it's not talking about membership in a club. It's talking about being a member of the body, like my arm is an important, my right arm is an important member of my body. This is the nose that I smell brisket with. This is important right here, my nose, you know. And we have, we have members, and members have what? They don't have privileges so much as they have functions. This is what the Bible says. You're a member of a body. It doesn't really, the, the, your emphasis shouldn't be, what are my privileges because I'm a member of the church? No, no, no. What are your functions? Because you're a member of the church. This is the way God made it. When together we agree that God has put together these clusters of Christians that we call church, when we all agree that Jesus is king, 
we use our various different giftings and we work together, that's the context in which we become, in, that we grow into maturity when all the body members are using their functions. This is what Paul's talking about. Can you see that we want to fly over this again and again and we want to come back to it again and again because it'd be, be enriching. Let's look at the second thing. You can put your past behind you and you can live a whole new life. You can put your past behind you, you can live a whole new life. Now, what you want to do here is look in verse 17 of chapter 4, and I want you to see some things. Verse 17 of chapter 4, and I want you to notice what he does first is he describes what it's like kind of before, and then he describes after. What is it like before you knew the Lord? And here, and it's a sad description. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk like the Gentiles do. In other words, people who don't, he's using that for a phrase meaning before you knew the Lord. Now notice how he describes that. In the futility of their minds, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verses 17, 18, and 19 are a description of what it's like before you know the Lord. And it's a sad picture. Feudal mind, darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant spiritually, hard-hearted spiritually, callous, and given over to your senses alone, sensuality, and greedy of every practicing, every kind of impurity. This is the past life. But the life that we can look forward to is in verses 20. Look, notice what it says there. In verses 20, there's a synopsis, and then you're going to see you have, really in verses 17, 18, and 19, it's looking at your past life. And then in verses 20 to 24, it's looking at what your life can be, your future life. And then in verses 25 to the end of the chapter, it gives you five examples. Let's look at that. This is beautiful. What, sh what, what your life was like was pretty sad. Now, what it can be is verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus. And then it's going to say the three things. It's going to say put off, renew your mind, and put on. And there are going to be five examples of this. Put off, stop this, think different about it, start this. And there's a pattern here. This is very practical. How does it work? You stop this by starting this and by changing your mind about the way you saw that thing. Notice what it says here. Verse 22, you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, or walk, right? Same thing. And is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's the mind renewal there. And then number uh, chapter 20, or verse 24, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is a pattern you see throughout Pauline epistles and you see it in scripture. And that is that you identify a behavior or a belief or a neglect that should be taken out of your life. You change the way you think about it by thinking God's thoughts after him, thinking in a biblical way about things, and then you put on, and that's the power of displacement, you put on the thing that's the opposite of that thing that you took off. And then you're probably thinking, so I need examples. Well, we have five examples. Let me give them to you here. I think we even have a little slide that shows you. Notice these five examples. Verse, start in verse 25. You, you replace lying with truth. Therefore, put away falsehood. Verse 25. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
we are members of one another. So you displace dishonesty with truth. That's an example. Here's another one. You displace sinful anger with righteous anger. You want to be careful with that because a lot of times people say their anger is righteous when it isn't. And be super careful, but notice what it says. Be angry and don't sin, which implies there's a way to be angry without sin, but you want to be really careful about that. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. So you have, you may have a sense, that a good person, there are things that a good person should not like that should arouse their ire, right? There are just certain things that you get, this is not right. But that's not an excuse to sin. So he's saying put off the sinful anger and replace it with righteous indignation, if you will, righteous anger. And, and notice that he says, and, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger because if you do, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. Verse 27, which really does seem like a really bad idea, doesn't it? Anger is an important thing to get a handle on. And then you have replace stealing or dishonesty with working and generosity. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he can have something to share with those who are in need. There was an elderly man yesterday at this place where I was. And he was an elderly man. He said, what I like to do is I like to work with my hands. I love to get out of my shop and build things. And then I love to sell them and see them to go into people's homes where, and I saw him as a young lady there and he'd sold her something and he was just helping her load this handcrafted item onto her trailer. And I, and I walked by and said, that's fun, isn't it? He goes, oh, I never get tired of it. I've been doing it for years. Now this guy, he's figured this idea out. You do something good with your hands that's valuable so that you can contribute, you know, Instead of taking or being dishonest, he's giving and, and he's contributing, and it's a good thing. And then you have, uh, you put away corrupt talk, you replace it with edifying talk. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So when you talk, you always want to ask yourself, is this a gift? Is what I'm saying a gift? That's what it should be. That's what it's saying. So take all the talk out that's not gift and, put, and replace it with talking that's a gift. When you talk to your wife, make sure you're giving her a gift. When you open your mouth, it's a gift. It's always a gift. When you talk to your husband, make sure that what you say to him is a gift to him. The love of kindness is on her tongue. Don't you love that? And then bitterness, you replace bitterness, which is like unforgiveness, poison of unforgiveness with, with kindness and forgiveness. And you see that, don't grieve, verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. There it is again, right? For the day of redemption. It's a repetition of the thought in chapter one, right? And don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed to the day of redemption and let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with all, along with all malice. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, in Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So that would be a powerful thing if you forget everything else in the message, that you take that home and you live under the beauty of that. Be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. This is the kind of people that we are. Now, when you have people like that, that are getting, remember, this is all, you know, plural. This is us. This is we. This works together. This is how this is all constructed. When we live like this, when we are a people who, are, who agree that Jesus is our king, and we're not going to be divided by minor things, and we want to pursue Christ-likeness, 
and we put our old life away from us and we pursue a new life which includes all these things like truth and righteous anger and working and giving an edifying talk and kindness and forgiveness. Then we become a pretty attractive people. I heard a guy who went up into Canada one day and he was, um, he was in a ministry where he was getting pulled away from his family a lot and he had little children. And he went up into Canada and, and he was working with his Satira twins uh, in, 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 a, uh, in a revival ministry. And he was helping them. Uh, and, and he went up into Canada and while he was there, he stayed with a family and he said the, the, the family was named John Gerber family. And he said when he got into their home, it was this large farm family, and they were godly people. They loved the Lord. They loved one another. They had children who loved the Lord. They had time. They had devotional times together as a family. He said it was just a delightful thing to spend a week with his family and to hang around him, and it, like, changed his life. When he, when he left, he thought, I want a family like this. This is what I want. I want to go home, and I want to have a family like this. He's so inspired by this family, the John Gerber family. And they had touched a lot of other people. When, when he left their house that day, they made him homemade bread and they set it up in the back window of his car like a few loaves of homemade bread. He said he could smell that bread, that fresh bread that they had baked up in the back window of his car and he drove out of Canada. He said when he got to the border, the, the border guard was there and he looked and he looked in the back window and he goes, you've been to visit the John Gerber family, haven't you? And he said, how did you know? He goes, that's what they do. They give people bread. You can go through. And you let them go through. Now, I'm not sure you should try that today. You know, if you have guns in your trunk or, or weed, don't do that. Just, you don't have weed in your trunk, right? I say things to keep you paying attention. How am I doing? Yeah. So you're like, how did he know I had weed in my trunk? It's like, see what I'm saying? You're coming to church fooling around, trying to hide your weed. We'll know. All that. I had a lady once, I had a lady once said, she, she smoked weed on the way to church every week, she told me. I'm like, are the sermons that bad? <laughs> anyway, I don't know why I told you that. It's just, you just the stuff you hear, you go, are you serious? Like, you, she looked like somebody's grandmother, you know, and you're like, oh, and so if that's true about you, don't tell me, you will so discourage me. Just, just quit. Anyway, about the John Gerber family, <laughs> something about when these things are true about a person <laughs> or when they're <clears throat> true about a family or when they're true about a church, there's a, there's a beauty there. There's the same fragrance that Christ has that can be on us. It's so what we should want. The third thing then is we, we can walk away from selfishness and darkness and folly into love and light and wisdom. We can walk away from selfishness and darkness and folly into love and light and wisdom. Now, I'm not just stacking up words here. Why have I said it this way? Because in this passage in chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, it says that we can walk in love, we can walk in a light, we can walk in wisdom. They're a little bit different. They're a lot the same. They're different ways primarily of saying the same thing. When you're walking, when you're living this life, it says these things are true about you, you can live this way. And when you live this way, then you're walking in love and you're walking in the light and you're walking in wisdom. It's like the contrast just keeps coming out over and over again. Notice chapter five, verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Yesterday, a lady says to me, oh, I'm helping my wife. She's the preacher's wife, candle company. So I'm there, and the people are like, you're the preacher. I'm like, that's right. Lady says to me, you need to say a prayer for me. I'm like, how can I pray for you? She goes, oh, I wasn't serious. I was just kidding. I go, okay, I thought you were serious. I'd be happy to pray for her. She goes, well, I do cuss. I go, yeah, you should quit that. And she says, um, I go, I can tell you the secret to not cussing. She goes, what? So now everybody's really quiet at the candle booth, and everybody's listening, you know. She goes, that's the only thing I do bad. I go, well, you cuss and you lie. There's at least two things. But anyway, I didn't tell her that. But she goes, I just cussed. I look at her husband. He's like, you know, he wasn't going to say anything. I'm like, smart man. She could have hurt him, you know. Anyway, I go, here's the secret to not cussing. Every time you're tempted to swear, be thankful for something. Where do I get that? Look at this right here. Let, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, in its place, let there be thanksgiving. This is a, yeah, you, how, how many of you, don't raise your hand right now, but you have a little trouble with the words slipping out that you really shouldn't slip out. You ever have that problem? Well, ask God to help you be a more thankful person and just, and when something, you know, just replace it with thanksgiving. Isn't that good? I think that's so practical. But it is interesting to me that Paul is just kind of meddling. He's kind of dialing into specifics now. Because all these things are true in you. Your whole life should be different. My goodness, the way you talk should be different. You don't make dirty jokes. You're a Christian. You don't say dirty words. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. Your heart is different. Your life is different. You repent of stuff like that. You're broken about stuff like that. It's what it says right here. Sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness. You don't live for things. They must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Verse 5, you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is serious talk. You might examine yourself. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. Read the previous passages he was talking about. Immorality, impurity, covetousness, these things do not characterize genuine Christians. And this is serious. To characterize you, you might not be a real Christian. This is very serious. You should examine yourself. Don't be partners with them, verse 8. Um, at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. You should be filled with good and light and true. That's what light means here. And discern what's pleasing to the Lord. You should always say, what's pleasing to the Lord? Is this word pleasing to the Lord? Is this joke pleasing to the Lord? Is this book pleasing to the Lord? Is this movie pleasing to the Lord? Is what I'm consuming pleasing to the Lord? You know, that, like that. take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness and instead expose them, you know, with a life of light. It's, it's the idea. It's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. And when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. In other words, you live a life that's morally and ethically distinct from those people that were that way or the way you used to be, and that light exposes what's dark. And when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Verse 14, anything that becomes visible, it's light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then you notice verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So you're walking in love, 
You're walking in the light. You're walking in wisdom. This is your behavior, your repeated behavior as a Christian. It gets down to details like that. Yes, these are who you are in Christ. And because of who you are in Christ, genuine, real Christ-likeness is possible in your life. You can miraculously change to being like Jesus. And you can put your past behind you and you can live a whole new life and you can walk away from selfishness and darkness and folly and you can walk into love and into light and into wisdom. And now let me go on to the fourth one and that is you can and you should experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Notice chapter 5 and verse 18 it says, don't be drunk with wine. You know, why does it say that? So I think it says for a couple reasons. Number one, Satan is crafty and powerful, but he doesn't have a lot of creativity. So like people, when they're bad, they're covetousness. They live for stuff, right? Or they're sensual. They're immoral. Or they get drunk or variations on that theme, right? It's like it, over the years, it hasn't changed much. What do people who want to be bad do? Kind of the basic stuff. Am I right? Like, you don't want to answer right now. I get it. You know, like, shh, just everybody be quiet. This will be over soon. Yeah, I feel. But it's true, though. It's like, there's not a lot of variety here. Then another reason is because of the god Bacchus or Dionysus. In that culture, they believed that you could get spiritual ecstasy through drunkenness. That you could get drunk and closer to God. Well, <coughs> Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. That doesn't lead you closer to God. Drunkenness leads to debauchery. Now, some of us kind of know that, right? Drunkenness leads to misbehavior. Drunkenness doesn't lead to spiritual ecstasy. It doesn't lead to things you're going to be proud of. It leads to things you're going to be not proud of. And so a believer is going to be very, very careful about this because he's going to want his life, instead of being controlled by the misuse of alcohol, <coughs> he wants to be filled or driven or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, then what does it say? There's a number of things that happen as a result of this, or perhaps there are things that happen that contribute to this. And there's a list of them that, that spin out from here. Let's take a look at that list from chapter 5 and verse 18. And it's a beautiful list. Notice what it says. Good, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart <coughs> to the Lord. If you want to be spirit-filled, I would suggest you're singing and making melody together in your heart to the Lord. You see a parallel passage of this in Colossians chapter 3. A thing that contributes to you being filled with the Holy Spirit and evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is that you sing and you thank God together. This is something you're not going to wake up in the morning with a headache for having done. This is something that you're not going to wake up in the morning and wish that you hadn't done the night before. You will always say, it sounds pretty innocent, but it will always lead to good fruit in your life. And that is like, your life should be filled with song, filled with singing, filled with praise. This is, and especially together. And then it says, submitting to, I'm sorry, and then with thanksgiving. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, and then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I believe that most of what you see that spins away from this from verse 21 is to be understood in the light of verse 20. And we submitting to one another, Lord, like husbands and wives. The Bible says the wife submits to the husband. The Bible says the husband 
is laying down his life for his wife. I think it would be easier to submit. I mean, that's just something you could think about there for a while because you're all really quiet about that. You're sitting next to your wife and you don't want her to hurt you, I understand. Like, but, uh, so the scriptures are, are saying, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. You're obviously not catching my hammer there. It's not working. Anyway, but, but, but the Bible says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. In other words, we look at one another in terms of employer-employee relationships, in terms of, um, and, and in this case, it actually was slave in the first century version of slavery. And it also is talking about sons and you know, children and parents. And it's talking about husbands and wives. So without going into a lot of detail or untangling all the knots that might be here, can we just say this one thing? When you are walking in the Spirit, then you are singing and you are praising and you are thanking and you, are, you have a spirit of submission and love towards one another in relationship with one another. And we can untangle the knots a bit later on that, but do you see what I'm saying? And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Are you living in that relationship with your employer, with your dad, with your mom, with your children, with your husband, with your wife, and other Christians with a spirit of humility and selfless sacrifice and giving and love and serving? This is the spirit-filled life. And it's possible for all of us that these things are true about this. And that goes all the way through verse 33 at the end of the passage talking about marriage. And then going into chapter 6, it talks about children and parents and you know slaves or you could say employees and employers and then when it gets to chapter 6 and verse 10 it talks about another kind what it looks like to walk in the spirit or actually what contributes to walking in the spirit and that is standing spiritually doing spiritual warfare and that's what it says in chapter 6 verses 6 uh, through sorry chapter 6 verse 10 to 20 and then you have that whole passage about the Christian's armor finally my brothers be strong in the Lord and the power of the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's kind of serious. And then it, when it says to take up the whole armor, notice what it says. They're very simple, straightforward, basic things. Stand, therefore, it says... Verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, the readiness given to the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, pray for me that words may be given to me in my opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What do you have here? Really, just to fly over this quickly, what you see is basic Christian stuff. The Bible, prayer, salvation. These things are powerful weapons in spiritual warfare. Don't anybody ever tell you, well, all I can do now is read my Bible. All I can do is pray. Hey, those are big things. All I have is my salvation. Hey, that's a big thing in spiritual warfare. So what do you have here in all of this? What, we're, what are we saying? What we're saying is that God has given us powerful means to be like Jesus. God's given you powerful means to come into Christian maturity, to actually change, turn from your old life and all the stuff that you were once ashamed of, and turn to a new life, a completely new life. You can change. You can be like Jesus. My grandfather, Bud Shipley, that I've been telling you about him, this happened to him. 
I, I went to his house one day years ago, and he's so quiet that he rarely spoke unless you really peppered him with questions, which I usually didn't have the good sense to do. But on that day, I decided that I was going to talk to my grandfather, and I was going to ask him questions. Grandpa, tell me about your past. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your growing up. He told me things I never heard before. What it really amounted to was kind of like this. Kenny, before I knew the Lord, my life was sad. My life was full of guilt. My life was full of darkness. He had this song that was written by H.A. Ironside, once the pastor of the Moody Church, and he collaborated with a guy named George Schuler. It was an old gospel song, and my grandfather loved this song. It, it went like this. How desolate my life would be, how dark and drear my days and nights, if Jesus' face I did not see to brighten all earth's weary ways. But I'm overshadowed by his mighty love, love eternal, changeless, and pure. I'm overshadowed by his mighty love, rest his mind, serene, secure. He died to ransom me from sin. He lives to keep me day by day. I'm overshadowed by his mighty love. Uh, it's a love that brightens all my day. My grandfather loved that hymn. And he loved to play it over and over again. And at first, the chorus is like in a minor key. It's really sad. And then when it gets to the chorus, it bursts into a major key. It's really happy. And my grandfather loved that song. Later in his life, he went into a rest home after grandmother died. And he, and, and he couldn't live on his own. And my, my, my mom and my aunt, they, they couldn't be with him. They couldn't take care of him. My aunt would visit him every day. And my grandfather was losing his memory. And my aunt Sue said she went to the rest home one day, and she had an idea. My brother Kevin, my brother Nathan is like a concert level, you know, like piano player. He recorded a version of this song, Overshadowed. My Aunt Sue took it to the rest home that day. And she said, I know what I'll do. I'll play this song for Grandpa, for Dad, for Daddy. I'll play it for him. He'll remember this song. And she was really excited as she drove to the rest home that day. And she went in and visited with Grandpa, and he didn't remember anything. But then she took the tape recorder, and she said, I want to play you a song. And she played the song, and he just had a blank look in his face. He didn't, he didn't recognize the song at all. And then she was super sad. And she turned away and she walked away to the door. And when she got to the door, she had an idea. And she turned back and she said to my grandpa, Daddy, do you remember who you are? And my grandpa said, I am the Lord's. You can be like Jesus more and more. You can put your past behind you and you can have a whole new life. You can replace your sin and your selfishness and your drunkenness and your immorality and your foolishness. You can replace those things with love and light and purity and wisdom. And you can experience the spirit-filled, spirit-filled life if you remember whose you are. And I want you to pray with me. And we've arranged a special song for you to hear before you go home today so that you will always remember whose you are. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gorgeous passage of Scripture so full of hopeful directions for us. We are, Lord, uh, not confident in our flesh that we can do these things, but we are confident that you can do these things in us if we remember whose we are. And help us, I pray, to always remember that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
loneliest places When I can't remember what grace is Tell me once again who I am to you Who I am to you Tell me lest I forget who I am to you I belong to you When my heart is like a stone and I'm running far from home Remind me who I am When I can't receive your love Afraid I'll never be enough Remind me who I am If I'm your beloved Please help me believe Tell me once again who I am to you, who I am to you. Tell me lest I forget who I am to you, I belong to you. please. Thank you, Tom Metcalf. So that should ring in your heart, and that you come back and fly up along the west coast of Ephesians and be reminded of who you are and who you can be and what you can do in the Lord. We have folks that are going to come right now that will be willing to pray with you if you need some prayer, some encouragement. They're going to come and stand here at the front, and when we are dismissed, you feel free to come uh, their way. Tonight, I have been uh, asked to speak at Camp Sela and their family camp, and if I understand right, if it's not true, just ask forgiveness when you get there, 
It's open to the public. Yes, it is. And so if you'd like to come down, um, I promise I won't say anything. I won't repeat things. That's what I do. I'll be preaching on. Anyway, if you want to come down, you can you come down there. If not, if you would be in prayer, that'd be great. Par- at 8 o'clock. Thank you. Did somebody ask what time? Was I imagining that? Yeah. 8 o'clock. It's at eight. I know it's past your bedtime, but it's at 8 o'clock, so I'll be working late tonight. Anyway, a delight to be with you, and I trust that um, you will, if you need to forget everything I said, that'd be just fine, but you want to read chapter 4, 5, and 6 over and over again, all right? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for all that you've given to us and all that you've done for us. I'm grateful to you so much, Lord, that... uh, This is a place where the young and the old alike can come and hear of the things of the Lord and can walk with you. I pray for, Lord, our shut-ins today that can't be with us. They'll be receiving communion later here today.